Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. And we're in Nehemiah chapter 13, and I encourage you to turn your device on or turn in your uh, actual Word of God. Uh, to that chapter, Nehemiah chapter 13. Yes, Phil mentioned I did finish the actual writing. I have some editing to do on a doctorate degree I've been working on. Excited about that. But in that process, first of all, how many of you have a laptop? You use a laptop on a regular basis. It's the greatest thing ever, isn't it? I mean, it's really fantastic. Except they only last for so long. They do have kind of a lifespan on them. And I've pushed my laptop lifespan a little bit far, and uh, it's to the point now where kind of trying to babysit it through, you know, it's kind of got some issues, and I know that I'm going to get another one, but I just don't want to do it yet, right? It's a commitment to get a new laptop, right? You have to get all your, because some of your stuff is on your laptop, and some of it's on this thing, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called the cloud. Does anyone know where the cloud actually is? see me afterwards, don't shout it out, but I know it's somewhere, it has to be somewhere, but there's some stuff that's actually on your machine, and I can't remember what's on my machine and what's on the cloud, and I know if I get a new laptop, it's going to be a hassle, I have to go through stuff, you know, you have to see pictures you didn't want to see and didn't realize you you kept, Uh, you're going to have to do all that, I just didn't want to do that, so what I've done is, the problem with my laptop is, the keyboard no longer talks to the laptop. There's been some kind of a disagreement, some kind of war. I don't really know. I've taken it to mediators to try to solve this, but the keyboard just will not talk to the screen, or the screen doesn't listen to the keyboard. Whichever way it works, there's a problem. But there's a solution. I've got another keyboard. I have what's called a Bluetooth keyboard, which I don't, also don't understand, but I know that it talks wirelessly, and for some reason the computer will listen to this keyboard. I have two keyboards. Bluetooth keyboards, one for home, one for work. So when I come to the office, I can just bring the laptop and leave the keyboard at home. The other day, I came in. Everything was fine. Everything's working fine for the last several weeks. I'm just trying to get through this project before I get a new laptop. And I come into the, to the office, and I set up my laptop, and I try to log in, and the computer is just going nuts. Ever had that experience? I mean, it's communicating with extraterrestrials or something because there's just all kinds of stuff going on. I can't log on. I don't know what's happening. It looks like somebody's entering data that I don't even know where that's coming from. I think, what? what's happening? What's happening? And then I noticed, I, I got, went to get my Bible out of my computer bag, and I noticed, for some reason, I had put in my bag my at-home keyboard. And there was something leaning against some of the letters on that com- keyboard. So actually, the computer was listening to the wrong keyboard, which was at once frustrating and at once exciting because I just turned that keyboard off and my other keyboard came back to life. So, have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had the experience where there's some influence in your life that's gotten in the way of what you thought was influencing you or what you wanted to influence or what you had set out to, what you committed to be influenced by and you found out there's some other source, some other data source, some other keyboard that is informing how you live and you've gotten all messed up. 
Well, that's what's happening to Israel today. They'd gotten to a good place, but now they're kind of all messed up because there's another source, there's another voice, another keyboard, if you will, that is informing how they live. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 4. Let me just set the stage, and many of you have been with us on this journey through Ezra and Nehemiah, and yes, we will finish next Sunday the, book of Ezra, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it'll be the end. We'll have covered everything pretty much, and uh, it's been an important journey. We talked about building the house, building the house of the Lord in Ezra. And Nehemiah, we're building the wall, and we're rebuilding this wall that had been torn down. You see, the children of Israel had been born as a nation under Abraham. Remember that? They wound up in Egypt as slaves, ultimately, and oppressed. And God rescued them in one of the most miraculous rescues in history. He destroyed the, Israel, the Egyptian army in the process. He brought them through the wilderness, gave them the law, brought them to the land. And he said, this is the land I, wanna ha- I want you to have. And they said, oh, but there's giants there. You know, God, I know you destroyed the Egyptian army, but I'm not sure you can handle these giants. And so because of that, they wandered for 40 years. But then God ultimately did because he's, you know, he's a faithful God, isn't he? He brought them into the land through Joshua. And they conquered the land through David. And they established this great kingdom and they were bringing glory to God and they were being really as much as they ever were who God wanted them to be. They were displaying to the world his greatness. But then leadership began to fail and the people began to worship other gods. And you know the story, they wound up in exile, hauled away for 70 years until God brought them back through Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple to rebuild the wall. Remember, the wall is that, 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 that wall that gives them a, a distinction as a nation. It defines them. It's the boundaries around their, their kingdom that says, we are God's people. We're going to live as God's people. Protected them. It was like their military. It was their glory. This is our wall. They dedicated the wall. Had this huge celebration with choirs and trumpets and sound and music and and this they they signed up to say God we will be your people again made this commitment to be your people and they agreed they're going to begin giving again they're going to begin giving of the first fruits of their flocks and other crops and to support the temple and to bring that into the temple so that the Levites could have provision and then in chapter 13 of Nehemiah they read in the scripture they needed to separate themselves from foreigners. They need to separate themselves from the Ammonites and the Moabites because these people had been discouragers and enemies of the Lord. As they had tried to get into the land, there's a whole story about how the Moabites and the Ammonites were enemies of God. And remember in Scripture, when they mention nations, they're, they're not mentioning so much nationalities and ethnicities, but they're, they're mentioning those who don't have faith in the one true God. Right? So don't think of, we love having all the nationalities we have in our, in our church. It's amazing to get to worship with all of you and get to know you and, and get to know different kinds of people because in heaven, that's what it's going to be like. I love that thought and that scene of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe gathered together, worshiping Jesus together and hanging out together. It's going to be amazing. That's why I, I love being here as a part of this church. But when you read in the Bible, it says you need to separate yourself. You need to separate from those who are not followers of mine. You need to not listen to them, not make them a part of your lifestyle. You need to be separate, a separate people. And they said yes, and they separated from the people. And everything at this point is just hunky-dory. You know what hunky-dory means? 
If you don't know, see me after. Basically, it means everything is great. It's, it's, it's really like when, maybe when you first get saved and you first receive that gift of salvation. Do you remember that? And you get baptized and you have this sense of, oh, I'm a new creation. Everything that, all the old things have passed away. Everything's become new. This is, this is amazing. I, I've been forgiven. I didn't have to earn it. I just got to receive it. I got to receive the gift of salvation. God has made me a new person. And you kind of feel like, okay, I'm ready to, to live and honor Jesus. And, and you step out in life to do that. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe your story is one like, you know, I, I was away, just like the children of Israel were away in exile. And maybe you're just coming back. And you're coming back to follow Jesus, to be a part of the church. And you're like, I, I'm really excited about this. And, and I've repented of sin. And, I, and I've, I've taken my place again with the people of God. And now I'm going to live in this way. And it's going to be great and I'm not going to have any more problems. I'm not going to have any struggles with enemies. But we still do, don't we? So important that we understand that followers of Jesus still struggle with enemies. And I want you to know, if you're here today struggling with an enemy, everybody else is too. So many times people say, well, you know, I don't want to let people know that I'm struggling because I know everyone else looks great. And they're not, you know, they're all, they all have issues as well. But praise be to Jesus, he has rescued us from that. We're going to see how he does it for the children of Israel in Nehemiah chapter 13. So follow along with me in your own word of God. It'll be on the screen as well. But um, Nehemiah 13, beginning in verse 4, the word of God says this. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah, a large chamber where he had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by the commandments, by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers. And the contributions for the priest, while this was taking place, I was in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber, which I think is kind of funny, actually. Um, and then I gave orders, and I cleansed the chambers, and I brought, uh, I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. What in the world has happened? We're good shape. We've committed to be God's people. We're, we're, not, we're committed to separate from, uh, from people who are far from God. And, and what happens? Nehemiah goes to see Artaxerxes, and while he's gone, Elishab the priest decides, hey, Tobiah, coincidentally, if you've been following along with us, no, Tobiah is an enemy. He's one of the people who constantly discourage God's people, along with Sanballat. They constantly said, oh, you can't do this. You're being rebellious. You're rebellious against the king for rebuilding this wall. Uh, you're awful. We're going to destroy you. It's, they threaten Nehemiah's life. Tobiah is a part of all that. And Elisha, while Nehemiah is gone, moves him into the house of God, essentially. This would have been like a warehouse next to the temple, on the temple grounds. It would have been like moving him into your pantry or your garage or your guest room. Elisha moves this enemy into the house of God 
while Nehemiah is gone. Nehemiah gets back and he's not having it. I love Nehemiah's, you know, his leadership, his, I'm going to handle this right now. And he goes and he takes all the furniture, puts it to the curb the day the claw comes and picks it up. You know that day? It's the greatest day. You know, that big claw comes and he picks up all the stuff that people don't want anymore and puts it in the back of the truck and hauls it away. And he throws them out. This is not going to happen. We're going to let an enemy live in the house of God. And it's interesting that he was able to, that Elisha was able to move him in there, move Tobiah in. I mean, the room must have been empty. The people had stopped giving. They'd stopped making provision for the Levites and the priests. And here's what has happened. In verse 10, the story continues. Nehemiah says, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his own field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasures over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Padiah of the Levites, and as their assistant Hanan the son of Zechar, son of Madaniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. So the people had stopped providing for those who took care of the temple. The Levites were the ones who made sure it was cared for, made sure things were ready to go, served the priest, and they also were providing for the priests. People had stopped all that. They had somehow decided that, you know, it's really not all that important that we take care of the temple. See, in those days, and if you know much of the history of Israel... There, were, there was kind of this idea that if they had the temple, they had God. If they had the temple, this was their connection with God, and as long as the temple existed, they were in good shape. Sound familiar at all to our culture today? So many people will say, well, you know, I had an experience, and I got saved, and I got baptized. Now I'm pretty much just going to live however I, I want pretty typical in our culture today. I, I got my fire insurance. I'm really good. I'm fine. I, I don't really need to live for God. I, I just need to make sure that I've had that experience, that I've received salvation. And maybe they're saved, but maybe not. Maybe they never did really receive it. Hard to think that I've, if I've received the grace of Jesus Christ, that me, a guilty person, has received innocence from one who was innocent. That I wouldn't want to live to please him. That, that I wouldn't want to honor him. So be very careful of that. If people say, you know what, I, 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 yeah, I was saved as a kid, I'm in bad, I'm good. Listen, no, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe not. So the children of Israel, they had the temple. They kind of started ignoring it. They kind of started living a comfortable life. We're not going to give to care for that. We, we needed to buy, you know, uh, a new tractor or a new sports car or have a better life. And we needed more of a comfortable life. So we didn't really need to give anymore. And this is where they found themselves. You know, it's, it's a sad part of the story. 
you almost really wanted it to end. You wanted the book of Nehemiah to end before this part. It's like, okay, they're, they're following Jesus. They're following God. Everything's good. Let's just move on to the next story. No, this is so important. See, even after we become the people of God, we still have to deal with enemies. There's three things I want to point out, four things actually, um, in the scripture today. First of all, spiritual leadership is really important. Spiritual leadership is really important. Nehemiah goes away and the door opens for an enemy. Sometimes I think we think because we have God's word or even if we have the internet and YouTube and we can watch on TV and welcome those who are watching on TV today, you still need a spiritual leader in your life. You need a pastor. You need deacons. You need a life group leader. You need good friends who are going to walk with you through this. When Nehemiah goes away, the opening is there for an enemy to take over. Be very careful whenever you move. Maybe you go away to college. Maybe you move cities. So glad I was visiting with a man this morning, just moved to town. He said, I needed to find a church, and I saw your sign, so I came. Actually, two different people this morning. Uh, so that sign's already bearing fruit, so... Um, but it's so important that we don't go through life for long periods of time. We don't have any spiritual leadership in our life. We need that. It just opens the door for an enemy to come in and take a place that's reserved for the things of God. We're very vulnerable to that. Spiritual leadership is there to help say, listen, you need to watch out for this. You need to watch out for that because the most important thing in our lives needs to be the cause of Christ the gospel itself. So we need to guard our hearts because that's where the gospel is supposed to live and not let an enemy sneak in there and live in the place that belongs to God. Spiritual leadership is really, really, really important. Secondly, enemies love to move into the hearts of committed Christians. You are not bulletproof. You are still vulnerable. And we see it all the time that people have allowed things into their lives that now wreak havoc because they allowed an enemy to come in where the things of God belong. And, the, and what happens is that the gospel becomes less important. The cause of Christ becomes less important. And we start following other voices. Let me give you a few examples. It may be a person. It's very interesting to me that Elisha is related to Tobiah. Let me ask you, are you related to an enemy of God? Are you related? Are there anybody in your family, anybody in your orbit, anybody that's around you? See, in some ways, you can't actually get rid of them, can you? Your relatives are your relatives. And you've got to make sure that you keep some relatives at bay, right? You've got to have a plan. Because people who feel like they're related to you, they think they have a right to have influence. And if they're an enemy of God, the gospel doesn't matter to them. They've not received the gift of salvation. There's got to be a border, a boundary. You can't let them have a place in your heart that belongs to God if they're not godly. It could be a person. Could be a group of people. Could be a new friend group. Hey, I met these new friends. They're great. You know, we, we all play tiddlywinks together. You know, we have a tiddlywink club. Anybody know what tiddlywinks are? Okay, good. We're, we're going to have a tournament later. Um, 
Now, maybe there's a, maybe there's a group of friends and you've moved to a new city and, and they're not really that into the gospel. The cause of Christ really doesn't matter. Beware, don't give them the place that belongs to Christ. Could be some entertainment. Could be a new show you're watching on Netflix. Could be a cause. Could be a political party. Could be a lot of even really important good things, but never give someone the place of the gospel in your heart. Never allow someone to take the place that only belongs to God in your heart. Third, you can always follow your money to find your heart. You can always follow your money to find your heart. The people had stopped giving. They could no longer follow their money to the temple, right? People had quit giving what God had commanded them to give. You can always look at your cash outlay and say, this is what matters to me. This is what matters to me. You say, well, Steve, you're just trying to get us to give. Listen, I'm I'm interested in your spiritual health. God will take care of the church. But if you're not giving significantly, and really, honestly, the tithe is just kind of the beginning I love Tim Keller's statement. He said, you know, Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave it all. I mean, we need to give. It's like, God, you own it all. I'm going to give all I can. Because it reveals my heart. You matter, Jesus. Your gospel matters. And I wanna, when I look at my money, I know where my heart is. And fourth... God often, periodically, in certain seasons, God does things to reveal what's inside of our heart. God brings things to bear. He causes events to happen to show this is where the gospel is and this is what matters to you. See, we need that. Because the more comfortable we are, the less likely we are to lean on the fact that I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior and I want everyone around me to know that. I believe the events of the last couple of weeks are just that for us. We're going to take a break in just a moment and pray for some serious issues going on in our world. I have some good friends who are suffering with COVID right now. One of them is a local pastor. Pastor Derry Berry of uh, Crossroads Baptist Church in West Palm is on a ventilator right now. You no doubt know people who are in that zone. When you think about COVID and you think about people who are suffering, you have to ask yourself, do I believe this gospel or not? Am I trusting in Jesus for my salvation? Do I believe it's important for everyone else to know Jesus for their salvation? Does the gospel matter or doesn't it? When I, when I look at what's happened in Haiti, and when I look at the suffering going on there because of the earthquake and because of political chaos, I, it breaks my heart. I live in a house that's not cracked. I live in a place I can get food. Do I believe the gospel is what's important in my life? Do I believe everyone should know the gospel, should have an opportunity to receive this news of Jesus Christ? And then when I watch the videos of Afghanistan and I I see people literally holding on to a jet plane as it flies away, falling to their deaths, the desperation, The desperation of mothers literally throwing their child over a razor wire, hoping that the child will be saved. My heart breaks for them. 
So you see, what do, what do we do? Well, first of all, your heart should break, and we should be in prayer for them. We're going to pray here in just a moment. We're not done. We're going to pray for them. You ought to be interested. How can I give? Go to sendrelief.com and give. You can give to both of these two tragedies right now as Southern Baptists are reaching in to help those who are in Haiti and help refugees in Afghanistan. You need to stand ready to help refugees. It's a horrible situation. So I want to take a moment for us as a church just to pray before we continue. Would you bow with me? God, we can't even fathom what some are going through today. We can't even grasp what it would be like to have our homes just destroyed from an earthquake. We can't imagine, Lord, an enemy knocking on our doors and dragging us out in the street and running from an enemy that was going to destroy us and desperation trying to get on a jet plane as it flies. We, we just, but God, our heart breaks. God, we pray for them. We pray for those who are in a position to help physically. Lord, may we be faithful to give to help as well. May we be ready to bless refugees. Because if we're not, Lord, I, I don't think we know you. Change our hearts, Lord, when we become hard. Or, Lord, remove anything in us that would say, well, that's their fault. God, it's not their fault. We don't deserve any better. May we be your faithful people. Lord, you left your home in heaven to come and die for us, though you had no need of that. May we have your heart for those who are suffering today. In Jesus' name. So we need to give, we need to pray, we need to be ready to help. We need to evaluate our hearts. So where is the gospel? Where is the gospel in me? Do I care about those around me? You see, everyone that lives around you that doesn't know Jesus is in exactly the same place as those refugees running for the plane. They just don't know it yet. It's a serious situation. There are people dying in our area right now, going to a devil's hell, missing heaven, who would grab onto that airplane if they could. You have the news. You have the news of Jesus Christ. Do they know that? Again, Tim Keller says that, you know, the gospel is not advice. It's not advice of how to get there. It's news about what's already been done for you. It's news that Jesus Christ has died for me and that all I need to do is receive His gift of salvation and I will be saved. It's just repentance. I'm just a repentant prayer away from being saved. Do I long for that for the people around me? You say, well, they don't want to know. You know, listen, you just need to know them, to pray for them, you need to love on them. You need to be at a place where when there is that disaster in their lives that they're looking to you for help about knowing people. So does the gospel occupy that place in your heart that matters most? Or has an enemy taken place of that and pushed the gospel aside? See, that's what it's all about to be a follower of Jesus. It's all about wanting others to know him. Because saved people save people, right? I mean, we don't save them. Jesus uses us, right? But to not care kind of makes me wonder if we know them. 
We're going to pray here in just a moment. And I wonder if there's an enemy that's taken up residence in your heart that you need to remove. You need to take the furniture and take it to the curb. There's some stuff you might have to get rid of. Some changes that needs to be made. Say, God, I want your gospel to occupy the place that belongs in my heart. I don't want anything else to be there. It's really simple as asking him to do that, to be Nehemiah and clean out my heart, God. Because I want it to matter. I want other people to matter to me. I want your gospel to matter to me. Some of you may say, you know, Steve, I, I don't know for sure that I've ever received that. I don't know that I've ever prayed a repentant prayer to say, Jesus, I I know I can't earn this. I just want to receive what you've already provided for me. And ask him, Jesus, would you save me? Would you save me? Would you forgive me for my sin? I want your gospel to take its place in my heart, maybe for the first time. That can happen right now. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.